Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, to the Byline Times podcast. This time, Ukraine warns Russia, no land for peace. One of President Zelensky's advisers, Mikhailo Podolyak, has said there won't be any ceasefire that involves giving away Ukrainian territory, not least because making concessions now would only encourage Russia to launch an offensive later. It seems that after virtually destroying Mariupol, Russia is now targeting the city of Severodonetsk, part of their advance into the south and east of Ukraine. The Ukrainians have been more successful further north, winning back the city of Kharkiv. The US has committed a further £32 billion in aid to Ukraine, Portugal, £211 million. So are we heading to a long, drawn-out and bloody war of attrition with neither side willing to yield? In a moment, we'll hear from Denis Ganser. Denis is a Ukrainian youth delegate to the United Nations and to Zarina Zabriskie, who's been reporting on the war for the Byline Times. But if you're listening live on your smartphone, I'd like to invite you to get involved as well. If you're listening on your Twitter app in the bottom left-hand corner is a little purple microphone icon. If you want to join in when you've heard what Dennis and Zarina have had to say, just tap on that. And if you've got a comment to make or a question to ask, we will try and get you involved as well. And before we start chatting, just to remind you, the Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are supported by subscriptions to the Byline Times, which is a brilliant monthly newspaper. You get more information at bylinetimes.com. Dot com. Let's catch up first with Dennis Ganser. It's been a long time since we've spoken to uh, Dennis. Uh, welcome back, Dennis. And uh, you're in Kiev, I believe, at the moment. Is that right? Yes, as of now, I'm in Kiev. But during the last uh, months and weeks, I was traveling all around Ukraine, you know, Mykolaiv, Odessa, Kharkiv, Dnipro, Lviv, and, you know, many, many more. So I really have some powerful insights to share with you, to tell you more about what the war looks like from the inside, especially from the such a difference is, you know, if we compare Kharkiv to Lviv, these are two separate worlds. But let's stick to the questions you have, Adrian, and the dear subscribers, I'm more than happy to talk to you. Brilliant. And before we do that, let's welcome Zarina into the conversation as well, because Zarina, I know that you've been in Ukraine too, and where have you been since we last spoke on the Byline Times podcast and Byline Radio? Hi, Adrian, and hi. hi, Dennis. Nice to meet you. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. I just came back from Odessa yesterday. I'm in Zurich right now on my way to Davos uh, to speak there about um, what Ukraine needs to win this war, basically, especially on disinformation front. And um, I took a four-day overall, no, two days, two-night trip from Poland via Slovakia, uh, Romania, and Hungary, and through the ferry, and um, Ukraine with the humanitarian aid from Poland for a story. So I've seen a lot on the way, uh, and I've been mainly in Odessa and the Odessa region this time, with plans of coming back after the conference, and that this time going to Mykolaiv and uh, perhaps Kiev as well. 
Yes, I know the conference you're referring to is the Davos uh, conference. Uh, we may speak about that on another occasion. But, uh, Dennis, talk me through then your perception of where the war is. I mentioned this uh, comment today by a senior presidential advisor that Ukraine is not willing to discuss any kind of ceasefire so long as Russia is on its territory or de- makes demands upon its territory. You know, I totally agree with him because, uh, you know, for us, it's really, we want this to be our last war. And by saying last war, I mean that if we go into another peace treaty with Russia, of course, Russia will break it. No matter it will be Putin ruling Russia or there will be a new so-called liberal ruler because... Uh, the more you see, the more you speak to people who are, you know, fighting on the front lines, who were kept captive for like weeks by Russian army, who are, you know, uh, doing different types of job. We do see that, unfortunately, and this is what the West does not see mostly, that this is not only Putin's war. This is the war uh, done by ordinary Russians who do support the war, who are willing Ukraine to surrender and become the part of Russia. And uh, for us, you know, winning this war, and by winning I mean bringing back all our territories, it has, you know, it's the only chance for the future development because we don't want to be the country which will be in a war for, you know, tens of years, hundreds of years. And today we have this chance, you know, together with your support, with the weapons you give us, with the humanitarian support, and with the willingness of ordinary Ukrainians, because you know, mostly those guys in the army, these they were uh, before the 24th of February, some, you know, so PR specialists, I don't know, drivers, uh, shop assistants, whatever. But right now, those guys are defending the whole of Europe here. And uh, you've seen that Russia is threatening Finland and Sweden because of their joining NATO. Uh, they're talking about taking Baltics. They're talking about attacking the United Kingdom at some point with nuclear weapons. So it must be stopped this year by Ukrainian army. At the same time, uh, Dennis, there is a reality on the ground, isn't there, about r- Russian advances in the south and east of Ukraine, and I know that Ukraine has been successful in pushing back, for example, around Kharkiv, but in the south and the east, and of course Russia has already previously annexed Crimea, there is this really significant push by Russia, and and they have a very powerful military. You know, uh, I cannot tell you a lot, of course, about what is happening inside, but believe me, in the coming weeks, you will see another process because we are getting prepared for a very big uh, counterattack on their army. Uh, we do understand uh, the costs of this. We do understand what will be followed by this. But, you know, if you say today to some, someone inside Ukraine that, guys, like, you know, like uh, Macron and Scholz like to say that, uh, guys, you need to think about this, about uh, saving Putin's face, Putin's image. Believe me, no one wants to do this because the things we suffered here through, and I'm speaking, you know, not only the atrocities which you have noticed, 
we have already paid such a big price because right now, of course, the economic situation in Ukraine is very tough. We are running low on fuel. We are running low on many things. You know, the uh, Ukrainian hymna is not very stable. But especially, as I'm talking to you right now, there is an airstrike alarm outside. I'm speaking about the sound terrorism. I'm speaking about the, what they have caused to our psychology, how we will retreat from this. We must make sure that, of course, we attack on them hard and we bring back only our territories. This is what we are saying for most. But right now, you know, what is happening in Russia, if you were following the events, they are already at some point afraid that Ukrainian army will proceed to the border regions of Russia. You see that two months, three months ago, they were speaking about totally taking Ukraine in three days. And today they are war experts for real in their their media, which is not really the media, which is just the paid Russian propaganda, they are talking about, will Ukraine invade Russia? You see the, you see the difference. And today, if you, when you're telling me that the Russians have proceeded in something, believe me, this is just the small part they have taken because we have won the battle for Kyiv, we have won the battle for Kharkiv, we have probably won the battle for Odessa, Mykolaiv, and many, many more cities. Zarina, give us a little flavor of what you have seen and what you have witnessed on the borders of Ukraine. Right. Well, first of all, I want to like 100%, 1000% back up absolutely everything that Dennis has just said. I mean, I couldn't put it any better. It's really uh, the mood is uh, the same in all the areas I've been to. Ukrainians are willing to fight back and are not willing to go into any negotiations. Uh, and um, uh, there's a talk of counter uh, offensive. And I will mention a couple of um, official statements that just came in today also from some people that I interviewed. But before I do that, uh, I just want to say that the situation is harsh. You know, um, when I entered Odessa region from the ferry, um, we took two ferries, and the last one was in Arlivka area. And uh, all along the border with Romania, uh, there's a transportation crisis there are uh, lines of trucks and I interviewed the truck drivers who are stuck there for days and some are for weeks and all of this is artificially created by um, by the Russians, by their hostilities, by multiple actions, not just by uh, exploding the bridges uh, but also by cutting down the supply of gasoline. Right now there's a crisis. It's really hard to get gas in Odessa to go anywhere. I couldn't go visit and report from the site that was bombed because we couldn't get the car to go. Um, nobody had the gas. It's really hard to get. But what I want to say that despite all this, the mood, the prevalent mood is really um, abated, not defeatist. Uh, and I think the main difference here is that Ukrainians don't have the victim mentality. Ukrainians are fighting for themselves. They stand strong, even through all the suffering, even through all the air raids that can go for hours 
you know, interrupting your day uh, and could be very demoralizing. But people are out and about. They are doing everything to enjoy life, to stay normal, to rebuild immediately whatever is destroyed. The sites I went to that were uh, shelled and bombed were being built back the next day. Their construction work is working on it. And Russia, on the other hand, has the victim mentality. They blame everyone and their mother for any possible trouble that they have. And now they're afraid of Ukraine attacking them and afraid of the NATO attacking them. And I just spoke to a psychologist yesterday and uh, basically psychologists confirm that uh, people with victim mentality have very low chances of winning. So overall, I think the prospect, despite all the hardship, uh, is bright for Ukraine. You mentioned a couple of uh, statements, Zarina, that you would reflect on from Ukraine about the possibility of yeah. counterattack against the Russians. Yes, the, just this morning when I was preparing uh, for my report for the conference, just very briefly, um, the head of the uh, president's office, uh, Andrei Yermak, stressed uh, uh, that, first of all, Ukraine is grateful for land lease, but and also needs weapons without restrictions. And he said that Ukraine still needs the high-precision missiles and drones and air defense, missile defense systems, ammunition, um, still waiting for American multiple launch rocket system from the states. Um, and there was another statement uh, about the uh, importance of the armament by Alexander Musinka, who is the director of the Center for legal research, uh, and he also emphasized that the multiple launch rocket systems are needed and the art artillery systems are very important, and this is consistent from military experts, the importance of artillery. And this is important to prevent the Russians from advancing in the south. And uh, also, I've heard from um, the a military expert from the Information Resistance Group, Alexander Kavalenka, and I have interviewed him and working right now on the article. It was fascinating, actually. And so he said today that it, maybe there won't be a large-scale counteroffensive uh, because it doesn't correspond to the strategy and tactics that are used by the armed forces of Ukraine. And that is bef because uh, the um, Ukrainian army used tactics to save as many lives of their servicemen as possible. So there will be a smart counteroffensive, what I did use from that. Uh, Dennis, there was a very fascinating interview with a senior retired colonel in the Russian army a few days ago on a TV program called 60 Minutes, a, a primetime Russian program. Colonel Mikhail Kodaryanok, I'm sure I've got his name incorrectly there, but he's a, a senior retired Russian colonel in which he said that the war would not be quick, would not be easy. And he paid tribute to the professionalism of the Ukrainian army. Now, at first, when that was reported, the suggestion was that he might in some way have gone rogue, that he was saying things that Putin might not like to hear. But quite a few commentators have now reflected on this and said there is no way that he would have appeared 
on that programme or been allowed to appear on that programme without the sanction of the Kremlin. And really, this is part of a softening up process by Putin, who is warning his people now that this will be a long, tough battle, not the easy victory that they were initially forecast. You know, the one thing about the Russian media, of course, you, you, you get fired, that nothing there is said, you know, by mistake. Even the Maria Avsanikova case, it was not done by mistake. It was a well-prepared special information operation. And, you know, th this is what everyone should understand, whatever you quote, you watch the Russian media, because this is the machine which is building billions of dollars which are invested into informational propaganda. And, of course, uh, it's firstly controlled by FSB, where Putin worked for many years, the, 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 you know, the, the daughter of the KGB. Uh, and uh, there are some, you know, also specialists who are saying that maybe by small chance, uh, this is not the Kremlin who is preparing uh, the, the Russia for the long battle, but it can be the phase B just by themselves telling the things which the Kremlin won't like. Because what we are hearing from there that, of course, uh, Putin is going mad about what is happening in Ukraine because the agent system which they were building for the tens of years in Ukraine, it ha has not proven itself to be productive. They have not proven uh, themselves really to be any more effective in fighting back the not only the Ukrainian army, but only the Ukrainian people. Because they expected us to greet them, to cheer them up, and to help them to take our territories. But this has not happened. And of course, right now, they're looking for the way to escape this war. Uh, you know, uh, just recently, uh, like a week ago, uh, they, they, they have even addressed the World, I don't recall, World Health Organization, so that World Health Organization influenced Ukraine to stop the war. This is the diplomatic nonsense. The, the country which started the war is talking to the World Health Organization to stop the war. Mm -hmm. uh, so what they're doing is just, they are looking for some kind of solution on this. You know, they, they are trying to show that, okay, we have understood the things, okay, let, let, let's talk. And it's mostly a Russian delegation which are telling right now that we need to get back to the peace talks. Mm. Ukrainians don't want this. We 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 have faced them a lot. We, we we have been suffering. You know, at some point, the war between Ukraine and Russia is lasting not just for three months or eight years. It's lasting for hundreds of years. And uh, the way they are trying to take Ukraine to destroy our culture. Uh, this is, of course, for us, it's some kind of a genocide. And uh, whenever you see or hear something from Russian media, from Russian people, the biggest mistake they make, they don't accept us as a nation. And they don't understand that Ukrainians are the separate nation who don't want to be the part of the big Russian empire. And of course, they are right now, I think, personally, they are trying to find the way for their state to survive because the processes have started and I hope that one day we will celebrate uh, not the Independence Day of Russia, we will celebrate the Independence Day of many, many more states created on the basis of the Russian Federation.
Dennis, you've mentioned your many travels across Ukraine over recent weeks, and Zarina has given us some insight into the privation, the difficulties that ordinary Ukrainians are experiencing. What have you seen? You know, of course, you should understand that uh, the life in the places the war has not happened, like like Kharkiv or like Bucha. Uh, or like, you know, uh, make alive at some point. Uh, these are the different types of life. Because if you come to Lviv, probably if not for airstrike alarms and sometimes the rocket hits, rockets hit Lviv, but it's, it's the same life it has been for years to come because this is the, the very great tourist destination. But speaking about uh, the cities which are on the front line, uh, which have just, you know, like Kharkiv, which is my, my local town, my native town, uh, my hometown. Of course, the life there is very hard because imagine yourself getting back to your home after three months of war and you don't have a flat, you don't have your business. But what is really exciting, Ukrainians are opening back their businesses. And for instance, my favorite pub in Kharkiv just opened several days ago and they have no windows. <laughs> because they were destroyed by the explosion. Right. But they're still working. They said that we have a summit race right now, so, so enjoy it. And uh, we are adapting to this new reality. Of course, it's hard for us. Of course, uh, you know, it's hard to find all the people who worked for you before. It's hard to find sometimes the money. Especially, we are speaking about you know businesses where like logistics are you know they're very hard. But with uh, with the bravery, Ukrainians, you know, Ukrainian railways, Ukrainian drivers, Ukrainian post is working. The responsibility that people take is just wonderful because uh, you can like send by post something from Kharkiv to Kiev, and you will get this in less than one day. In the times of war, this is just you know how to explain this and. Uh, whenever you have an opportunity to come to Ukraine in these times, if you're like interested in documenting something, in you know experiencing this, you know this this German word sidegazed the, the the run of the time, I do like if you want to take up this risk, of course, come here and enjoy the time because you will be really surprised by what is happening here. The country, which is like at war, at the real war, is living its life is uh you know adapting to the new reality and this is nothing compared to any war before in the last years uh, you know if you compare the war in ukraine to the war in syria uh these are the two different states because the people here they have the willing to live here and they have they are taking the responsibility for everything happening and Zarina, you've borne testimony before to the defiant spirit in the city of Odessa as well, a very strategically important city in Ukraine. You've been there a couple of times now, and you've already mentioned that that, that defiance is clearly present on the streets and amongst the people you speak to, despite horrific incidents that you've witnessed or the aftermath of which you've witnessed in Odessa. Yes, that's right. And again, the same thing that I have experienced this time, this uh, second visit. And, uh, you know, Odessa is very, very close to my heart. So it was really painful. I, I was 
there as a child a lot. So uh, it was really, really painful to see in uh, March and April the the closed streets, the closed stores. And uh, now coming back, again, just like Dennis said, the restaurants opening up, the cafes at Diribasovska, the the main street, that are now serving customers outside. And yes, there are air raids, and uh, like after each air raid, you have to understand, you'll find out what has been damaged or destroyed, and if there were people killed. But um, there's a little girl riding on a pony, you know, and the and the man playing a saxophone in the street, and uh, I shared some of it on social media, and people are saying, "How could it possibly be so normal? Is there really a war?" And yes, there's really a war. I brought pieces of Russian missiles from the site I went to, and I've seen the houses that were completely destroyed, and people who were injured, and talked to families of people who were actually uh, murdered during the strikes. But the spirit is such that um, people open new restaurants under these conditions and uh, the, the lady who opened the restaurant showed me the plates that they, she, she didn't even have money to pay for the plates but somebody loaned it to them and so the, there are people there and they're trying to, um, to to live a normal life, to work uh, to work, to enjoy it and to to protect their country from this, from this invasion, from this horrific war. Dennis, looking at the broader political picture, we know that countries close to Russia, Finland on its border and Sweden are now seeking to join NATO, although interestingly one NATO member, Turkey, is pushing back against that. Is this? I just wonder whether from the Russian point of view, whether this will be seen as a provocation, whether they will say, look, this, this proves that NATO is seeking to expand and he's seeking to, to post troops on our borders. You know, Turkey has never been an easy country to negotiate with, especially from the European Union side. And, you know, uh, the reason I, I do think, of course, they they just want to win some, you know, some points for them. Like, for instance, they're talking a lot about that uh, Sweden and, fin- uh, and Finland will, will not work with uh, Kurdistan working parties. So for them, it's you know, it's politics. Yes, it's but Turkey, politi- Turkey, sorry, Dennis, to interrupt, people don't know the background, but Turkey's objection really seems to be about, about what they would regard as Kurdish rebels, people seeking independence for the region of Kurdistan within Turkey. Yeah. Yeah, and in the same case with Hungary blocking their oil embargo, you know, they're just trying to win some money for them. You know, of course, this is the case for Russia to show something, to prove something. Uh, And, uh, you know, in Russia, unfortunately, people do not see the other parts of the coin. And unfortunately, there are no, you know, uh, good media which can show another opinion because there is only one way. They can use everything for propaganda, you know. If by some chance uh, right now uh, there will be a Russian propagandist listening to by time uh, radio, even from this content we discussed with you, he can make some big story that, you know, uh, people are discussing uh, tearing up Russian pieces. The, the West is going against us. 
they are just, you know, they're just trying to prove to their people that you must see the whole world is against us, that we are fighting against the whole world. And right now, you know, to prove why they have such big losses in this war, they're also using the argument that, okay, you see, this is not only Ukraine fighting, these are, you know, the foreign instructors who have come to Ukraine, these are the foreign weapons which are really happening, not the Ukrainian army. Because they can't just accept the fact that their propaganda, which was telling for 30 years the whole world that we have the second most powerful army in the world, it was just a fake. It doesn't depend really on how many weapons you have. It depends on the masterpiece of your army troopers who can conduct real war operations, who have enough not only bravery, it's not only about bravery, it's about the cold mind in the such actions to, you know, to count what must be done. Because, you know, some stories come up when you, when you hear the stories of the battles which are happening in such places like Chernobyevka or in Severodonetsk. You just can hear that Russians, they just try to send as much troops. So they, they just, you know, they light the ground with their with the bodies of their dead troops so that they, you know, they, they just de- like exhaust the Ukrainian army because the only thing which our Ukrainian army is doing sometimes is just uh, one battalion coming, they win, and another battalion coming, they win, and this going like in tens and tens and tens. So this is the case. For Russia, everything, they, 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 they want to prove to their people, first of all, that you see the, the West is weak, Everyone is against us, so we need to continue our fighting. Yeah. Uh, surprising, Zarina, in the last few days, the New York Times, I think this was a couple of days ago, ran an editorial encouraging or pressuring Ukraine to give some territory to Russia in the cause of peace. Uh, yes, you were just reading in my mind. I actually shared that um, it was very maddening to see that, but not surprising uh, because it happens with the New York Times from time to time. <laughs> uh, you, but um, it, and uh, I, I actually wrote whether it's infiltration or being a useful idiot. We don't know. Uh, it could be, you know, it could be both uh, because the Russian propaganda uh, mechanism is working really hard on infiltrating the Western mass media, and they are doing it. Uh, like in different ways, it could be just money, it could be publicity, uh, it could be actually convincing someone of uh, of the Kremlin narratives because they do target uh, very left and very right. And uh, uh, so whoever uh, authored this uh, editorial obviously worked as a mouthpiece for the Kremlin, and uh, I actually traced it, it was right away picked up uh, by other random information sources and was amplified and uh, uh, the uh, some Asian source that obviously is working into the Kremlin narrative stated that uh, the New York Times, which has the official line 
of the White House, which is not true, another fake, uh, is changing the narratives and that the West does not want to uh, support Ukraine anymore, which is another Kremlin narrative. And um, by doing this and by spreading this fake, uh, they pursue their main goal, which is demoralization of the army and population of the adversary and hijacking their uh, international public opinion. And they're always, always working on it. And uh, we've seen that in uh, and seen this constantly in the headlines. I'm trying to address that and trying to fight that um, tendency when the journalist, without thinking, uh, coin um, uh, beautifully sounding or clickbait sounding uh, headlines uh, that sound something like uh, Azov Battalion Surrenders, right? And by doing this, and that's the headline, by doing this, they're sticking to the uh, Kremlin uh, official point of view, because according to the uh, to Kiev, uh, it was evacuation, and you can argue which one it is. But the um, uh, trustworthy source, like the current Times TV, would uh, calmly state both and confirm that in the war condition, we don't have the means to verify this information. And these are both sides. Uh, opinion. And you can argue again whether you want to represent uh, Kremlin's opinion again, because everything they do there is propaganda. But uh, taking this piece of propaganda and putting it in your headline is really, really at this point, from my point of view, a collaboration with the autocracy and with the invaders. Dennis, to finish with you, uh, despite what the New York Times says, and I guess that may be construed as having some degree of influence in the political world in the United States, just to reaffirm it is clear that the people of Ukraine are not willing to accept a ceasefire as long as that, if that involves conceding an inch of territory to Russia. No way. Uh, really, we, um, we have a constitution which was uh, uh, voted for in 1996, and which is clearly stating which are the territories of Ukraine. Uh, and it, it includes Crimea and Donbass. And there is no way we will rewrite our constitution, give up our territories, uh, give up our people, give up our defenders. We will not give up anything on this because I, I, I've been telling this to everyone, like, like, oh, Dennis, you should just stop the war, j j just accept something from Russia. Okay, the day we accept something which Russia wants, the day we sign, this is the same day we sign another, you know, death penalty for thousands of Ukrainians, which will be killed in another war in several years. Because they will not stop on this. They will push, they will continue, uh, they will try to uh, break Ukraine from the inside, they will send more rockets, they will uh, not stop. This is the case, you know. Imagine, like, uh, you have some, you know, some territorial uh, fight with some country,
And it's not only about territories, it's about the culture they hate, it's about the nation they hate in our in Ukraine. So we must make sure that this war is the last war between Ukraine and Russia. And by saying this, I mean that we make sure that Russia is demilitarized, denuclearized, and we finally get Russia to the democratic world and we bring peace to those lands which are here. Dennis, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, really, really good to catch up with you again. And solidarity to you from the United Kingdom and from the Byline Times and Byline Radio. Thank you to you, Zarina, as well. And if you want to support more broadcasting like this, if you want to support Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast, please think about taking out a subscription to our fabulous monthly paper, The Byline Times, where you can read people like Zarina Zabriskie. You get more details on how to subscribe to The Byline Times at our website, bylinetimes.com. As I say, Zarina will be there both at bylinetimes.com and in The Byline Times. Good luck to her. Thank you, Zarina. Stay in touch. Thank you, Dennis, and thank you all for listening. Don't forget to follow at Byline Radio on Twitter. And if you stay tuned to that, we'll let you know when we've got our next up-and-coming spaces. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Thank you.